Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Thriving Adoptees podcast. So today I'm delighted to be joined by Meg. Meg, Meg Manning, um, welcome to the show, Meg. Delighted, so to, uh, delighted to see you. I'm just looking, we're doing this on Zoom and for some reason my view's looking a bit, it's a bit different to normal. Oh. oh, so, and it's just throwing me slightly. So anyway, I've just, I've, I've clicked it back and here we are, back in the thing. Welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having us. We really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you and to your listeners. Yeah. Okay. So could you tell us a, a little bit about yourself, Mike? Yeah. So my name is Meg Manning, as you said, and I work as the director of home visiting training at the Children's Trust. The Children's Trust is based in Boston, Massachusetts. Um, and I'm happy to talk a little bit more about the agency, if that would be helpful information to share. Um yeah, uh, if you could talk about it briefly, and especially uh, as it relates to the world of, uh, of adoption, that would be great. Yeah. Absolutely. So the Children's Trust, uh, our programs partner with parents to help them build the, the lifelong skills that they need and the self-confidence that they need in order to ensure that their children grow up safe and healthy. And our agency works with over 100 different uh, community organizations all across the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, and we provide high quality services to help families thrive and to help children be safe and grow up um, in safe environments. And our programs are really designed to both address risk factors and to build protective factors. And I think that's where there's a really nice connection to the conversation that, that we're having today. So when we think about protective factors, right, those are the things that can counterbalance risk factors. So things like, um, you know, growing up in an environment um, where there's intimate partner violence or substance use or mental health challenges, those sorts of things. And what we know is that protective factors can help to buffer the effects of those risk factors and can help support children as they grow and develop and can help build the resilience. And, and we know, right, that stressful household, stressful environments can have a long-term negative impacts on a child in the way that they grow and develop. Um, but we also know that a parent or caregiver who is stressed, who is struggling, but can access help, can access support, whether that's through uh, connections with other parents or podcasts such as yours or, you know, parenting resources, a home visitor, right, that those sorts of things can help to learn to manage their stress and can help create environments where their child and where they are able to be safe and, and healthy. So that's really where we think about the importance of supporting parents to build that resilience for, for themselves and for their child. Okay, so there's, a, there's an awful lot there. Um... I'd like, you know, give, given the most of the audience listen to this, right, are uh, adoptive parents, um, I'd like to kind of zero in on a few different things there. Um, first off, uh, it, for me, is, the, is resilience, is, is resiliency. So if we look at kind of like what thriving, thriving is, thriving is the big picture, and I guess all the stuff that you're, a lot of your stuff that you're talking about there, are um, individual factors that would fit in a um, would fit in within that category, um, and so uh, if we could if we could start off with resilience, what does what what does resilience mean to you from the perspective of um, an adopt adopted parent? Mm, yeah, that's a great question. And I think when we when we think about resilience, right, it's really uh, an individual's ability to, uh, you know, take those hard experiences that they might be experiencing, those hard things that have happened to them or to their child, and really thinking about how you are able to develop the skills, develop the strength, developing, develop those positive relationships that you need in order to move forward and to um, have the resilience to, to continue to move forward in spite of those challenges that you might have been, might have experienced um, early in life. And there's a lot of science and a lot of research that tells us that, well, early experiences of adversity do have a long-term are linked to long-term negative impacts. We also know, and this I think is, is the key message here, is that we also know that positive experiences um, 
supporting children to develop their own resilience, that those can counterbalance those negative, the, the adversity that somebody may have experienced in ways that can help to, to buffer the impact of those experiences and can help support that individual to grow up um, safe and healthy and, and um, kind of uh, thriving as, as an adult. Okay. So if I can strip, if I can strip that back down to really the, the, the real essence of, of how I see that, right? Just to, so we're talking about, you know, these, uh, the early child, the um, adverse child, ex- ACEs, what do you call them? Adverse? ACEs, yep, adverse childhood experiences, yeah. And we're talking about, to an audience that is adopted parents, we're, we're, essentially we're talking about the strength of the parent to um, handle, deal with, manage, change, cope with uh, the, the, the aftermath of that yeah. experience, especially if they have, uh, I'm thinking particularly about adopted parents who have adopted from foster care. So if we look at, if we, if we, if we can, stri- and this is, um, how shall I put this? This is a theoretical, this is a theoretical stripping back. So mm-hmm. we're talking about, if, if for, just for sake of ease, we're talking about what people call the primal wound, which is the separation from a, a, a separation from a birth mother um, uh, that, uh, that is deemed to take take place, um, and I have some different views on that. Anyway, but there's there's that, and then there's the adverse, uh, uh, there's the neglect, abuse um, stuff that a, a, a child has gone through in their birth family before they, they they've gone into the they've been uh, fostered or they've gone into the care system or. Whatever. So if we focus in on if we focus in on the kids that have come from that from care, uh, and we're talking about resiliency as in resiliency of the parents to handle the aftermath of that, what does what what are the what are the key factors for you? in that specific bit. And I thought I was asking quite an elegant question there, but it wasn't. I went a bit all over the side of the place, but do you, you know Sounded what great. I, I do, yes. And then please steer me uh, if, if, I, if I veer off course. I think, you know, and, and you mentioned the ACEs work, right? The, what we know about adverse childhood experiences. And I think that that was really kind of the seminal study, right? That taught us so much about the impact that these early experiences have later in life. And others have kind of expanded on that work to look at some of those things in, in a more broad you know, context of a community. So to look at things in addition to abuse and neglect and to also look at things like um, experiences of racism, violence, um, discrimination, poverty, those sorts of things, because we do know that those impact uh, later outcomes in adults. But I think that the real important message here is that while yes, those things can have an impact right later in life, those things as you described a, a child's experience um, before they they are connected to their adopted parents, right? All of those things can have an impact right on, on that child in childhood and that can have lasting impacts into adulthood. And, and what we know about these early experiences is that it causes what's called toxic stress, right? So it's the kind of the idea that when we experience stress, right, and we don't have anybody to help us cope with that stress, help us manage that stress, we, the children who have, who have those experiences, they essentially, they can't turn off their stress response in the way that a child who has grown up in a, in a, in a supportive environment is able to do. And so that ongoing stress is what uh, essentially wears on the body and the brain and can, can be linked to some of these, these negative outcomes as an adult. But what we know is well, there is a big impact, right? There is an, a link between early adversity and, and negative outcomes in adulthood. We also know that the brain is malleable. We know that people 
can heal from trauma. We see that in this research. We also have seen that in our programs and the families that we work with uh, countless times. And we know that people can heal from adversity, can heal from toxic stress, can heal from trauma, that those experiences aren't a sentence or a predetermined fate, but rather really we have the opportunity as adults, as caregivers to help support children by providing them with what we call those positive childhood experiences that again can help support that healing from, from trauma. Okay. So if I can put this really simply, as I'm not a therapist or a psychologist or a clinical social worker or anything, we, we, we're talking about um, uh, bringing in some positive experiences to outweigh the negative negatives of the past, right? And so what does that, what does that mean? What, 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 what are the, what are the most effective ways that adoptive parents can mitigate those aces? Yeah, so I think that there, there are a lot of things that, that we can think about and some really concrete activities, things that you can do with your child. Um, and we can certainly talk about, about those things. Um, but what we also really want to emphasize is that so much of the, the work of, of parenting, our ability to be able to support children that have experienced adversity, it really starts with, with us. It starts with us as parents and our own ability to manage our stress, manage our emotional response to situations, um, because we know that not only does that allow us to show up in the way that we want to show up for our child, but it also allows us to, uh, it provides our child with access to and the opportunity to have consistent um, parents who can help support them in healing from their trauma. And we would love to talk a little bit more about what that actually looks like, right? Because telling a parent to stay calm in a world that, you know, has thrown so many stressors our way is, is really tough, right? And so there, there are certainly things that are outside of all of our control, but the way that we are able to manage those things can have a real impact on, on how we are able to show up for our child um, and help support them in healing from some of those experiences they may have had. So you, you said um, resilience for you is, you, you talked about skills, strengths, and relationships. Mm -hmm. Um, so could you break, break that down? Well, not break that down. Could you flesh that out? What, what yeah, do you mean? Sure. Skills, strengths, and relationships. So I think one, when we think about skills and we think about the skills of, of a parent to be able to do that. So when we think of a parent, you know, parent, caregiver, mother, father, whatever that looks like in, in this family unit, a big part of the, the skills that, that we need as parents is is to be able to regulate ourselves, to be aware when we're feeling out of balance, when we're feeling dysregulated, so that we're able to be more present for our children when they are experiencing challenges. Um, and again, this is, is a big part of, of the, the work of parenting, right, is to be able to manage uh, those things that are coming coming your way, but there are strategies that, that you can use, skills that you can build as a parent to help you be able to do that. So when we think about managing and kind of regulating our emotional responses to situations, we can start by really being building the skills and building awareness around what is our body telling us when we start to feel dysregulated? What does our body tell us when we, when we are feeling in a state of balance, right? So to, to first understand how we are when we're balanced helps us understand how we are when we're, when we're out of balance and starting to feel dysregulated. So it's tuning into our own cues, right? Those indicators, those things that our body tells us, right? Are we feeling tension in our neck or in our jaws, right? Does, do our hands get clammy? Does our breath quicken? Um, these are all signs that we can tune into as, as parents to get a, a sense of what might be going on for us when we start to feel out of balance. And then we can practice strategies to help us regain balance 
and, and really um, be more present in the moment with whatever's going on for our child in that moment. And we can think about different strategies, right, that we can use in those moments. So there, there are a lot of different strategies and people need to find the ones that work best for them. But things like, um, you know, focusing on, on your breathing, um, which works for, for a lot of people. It doesn't work for everybody though. Um, thinking about grounding strategies. So things like being really aware of your body in, in the space that you're in. Um, so being aware of your feet um, planted firmly on the, the ground beneath you, thinking about your back leaning up against the chair, um, thinking about you, where, where you are in, in, the, in your environment in that moment. Um, another strategy that, that we hear folks use is the strategy of self-talk. So these are those mantras, those sayings that we can repeat to ourselves when we feel dysregulated, when we feel out of balance. Things like, you know, I've got this, or this is temporary, right? My child is eventually going to fall asleep, right? Those things that can help us sort of talk ourselves through these stressful situations. And I think it, it can be really important for us to practice these strategies, practice these techniques when we are in balance, when we're calm, because that allows us to strengthen the connections in our brain that makes these strategies um, more effective when we actually need them and easier for us to draw on and remember to use when we start to feel really out of balance, to feel dysregulated. Um, and I think when we think about this specifically in terms of parenting, right, it's important for us to be aware of and familiar with our own triggers, right? What are those things that our child does or what are those activities that, that for us um, oftentimes get us stirred up or dysregulated or out of balance, right? Are there certain behaviors, certain things that your child does that are particularly challenging for us, right? Is it a particular mood, a particular time of day? Um, and we'd really encourage parents to, to reflect on those things, to think about those things um, before you face those things again, right? To, to think about how you might wanna respond in those situations uh, the next time they happen. What, what would it look like to respond differently? How might you remember to use some of these strategies to, to regain a, a sense of calm and be able to be more present with the situation that's in front of you? Are there any small shifts that you might wanna try? Um, and to really think about what that's actually gonna be like for you to, to do that. Um, and, and you know, I know that when we think about building resilience in children, it really does start, start with the parent, right? Think about how we're able to show up for them, how we can respond to them in moments where they're feeling stressed or dysregulated, uh, that it, our ability to show up and be present and to focus on that connection in those moments is really um, at the heart of what can build resilience for children. Yeah. So essentially you're talking about um, awareness, uh, in the first instance, you're talking about self-awareness and then awareness of, of, of um, our response to, to how our kids are. And then you're talking, I guess you're talking about kind of mindfulness, kind of mindfulness techniques and uh, drawing our attention to the fact that there are lots of different things that we can do in that. Uh, and uh, to to the fact that given the um, massive options in that area, it's about trying different things until we find something that works for us, right? Mm -hmm. Is that what you said? Yeah, I think that there are a lot of different things, right, that, that work for different people. So it's a recognizing that, you know, breathing might not be the thing that works for you and that's okay. Thinking about other strategies that might be a better fit for you, better fit in different situations, um, but to practice those, to give yourself permission to try those things out um, so that you can find something that can help you to be able to, to calm yourself in those moments yeah. where you've started to feel stressed because again, that impacts how we can respond to our child in those moments. Yeah. The thing that comes to my mind is that, um, as you talk about that, is that everybody's looking for the one thing that's going to work. You, you, you use the word experiment, right? Mm -hmm. So the uh, the internet is full of, you know, the five steps to this, yes. the seven steps to that, the ten yeah. practices, um, and they, if if they were, there wouldn't be such a proliferation of them, right? Right. <laughs> that that's true. Yeah, that's and it, it, it is very true for sure. 
So I, I guess we're kind of, we're, as, as human beings, we seem to be quite impatient to find the one thing, right? Yeah. Because there isn't just one thing, right? There's, there's a lot of different things for sure. There's a lot of different things, but I want to find the one thing that's going to work <laughs> for me. No. Um, so um, the other thing that you talked about was um, self, self-confidence, uh, helping our, uh, our kids develop their self-confidence. And so I, I guess, you, you know, you said that resilience starts with us. Um, and as us, I mean adoptive parents, I'm putting myself in the place of the listener, right? Um, presumably, self-confidence starts with us as well, doesn't it? Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. And uh, uh, what does that mean to you? What does self-confidence mean to you? Yeah, I think that's a great question, especially as we think about parents supporting adopted children, right? And how to really build and allow space for children to to develop their own self-confidence. And I think a a lot of that really is based on how we respond to, to our children, right? In those moments when they are struggling when those moments when they're experiencing strong emotions when you know they're trying to figure out who they are and how they fit into this world I think giving ourselves permission to do what we need to do right whether it's taking that deep breath or taking that pause so that we can be really present with our child in those moments and and ask questions and to to support them for who they are in that moment and and to be able to um, really uh, give them the space to to tell us who they are to show us who they are. help that child feel feel validated feel accepted for who they are um, and to to for you as a parent to be able to support them in in exploring who they are and who they're going to be yeah for me we treat confidence like like it's a thing we mm. say uh, so we've we lost confidence right and um it's not a thing it's a feeling right mm-hmm. yeah so Feelings come and go. Mm-hmm. They do, yeah. Um, and, uh, and I think, oh, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I, I, there's this phrase uh, that's sort of used a lot at the moment, isn't there? Um, getting in our own way. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking about this in terms of, uh, of parenting. Mm-hmm. So there's this idea that, and I'm, I'm, I'm being intentionally very literal here. There's the, the, the idea that we can get in our own way, that there's two of us, that we've got some sort of Jekyll and Hyde personality or split personality going on. We can get in our own way. I mean, physically, that's not even possible, right? You know, if I'm on the, if I'm on the sidewalk or, or, or the, um, um, the pavement, as we would call it in the, in, in the UK, um, I can't get in my own way. It's not. It's. It, it, it's. Uh, it's. Uh, it's not a thing. But everybody uses it like it's a yeah. thing, yeah. and and it's, it's like like getting in our own way is perhaps when our feeling, um, when our confidence has, has uh, uh, deserted us for mm-hmm. a while, um, and we're getting in our own way. And the idea that for me, really, the idea that I'm, I'm not going to be able to cope with this. I don't have mm-hmm. the confidence about um, uh, helping my child get through this day, get through this um, tough day that they're having mm-hmm. due to some aces. What, what, that's kind of my, my take on it, but what, mm-hmm. what, would you, what would you say to, what would you say to, to, to that? Yeah, I think, you know, when we think about children who are, who have had adversity in their lives, right, children who've experienced trauma, and children in general, right, so much of what we can do as parents is to really focus on how it is that we're responding to, to, to what our child is telling us using their words, but also to the other cues, the other things that our child is, is demonstrating to us. So, so their body language, their mood, right? Their, their behaviors. And children are this really interesting mix of being 
very competent, right? But also very vulnerable. Um, they, they're able to do a lot, but they also need a lot of support. And I think that can be kind of, that can be tricky, right? For both parents and for children as they navigate that, that children are dependent on us as caregivers to be able to be responsive and to show up for them in, when, they, when they're demonstrating to us that they have this need. Um, and I think as parents, we oftentimes, when our child is having a hard day, when our child is struggling, um, we feel this strong urge, a strong inclination to try to, to fix it, right? To make things better, to um, make the hard stuff go away. Because it is really hard for us to uh, see somebody that we love, right? Experiencing challenges, um, struggling with something. And I think that oftentimes, right, that, that results in us, um, you know, kind of going to this place of trying to fix whatever's going on for our child. Um, you know, if they're frustrated because they can't open open the bottle of water, we just do it for them, right? Or if if they're feeling really upset because somebody said something to them at school, we we try to make those those hard feelings go away. But what we actually, you know, when we think about what we as parents can do, one of the things that we can do is is in those moments, right, when a child is experiencing these these strong emotions. Um, it again starts with us to be able to, to get ourselves, do what we need to do for ourselves so that we can manage our own emotional react emotional activation and think about how we can respond in those moments so that we can really be there for our child in the way that they that they need to, right? We know feelings are for feelings, they're not for fixing. Um, and we want to allow children the space to feel those things, even when it's hard for us, especially when it's hard for us. Um, and if we are able to do that, it can create a lot more room for us to be present with our child and what they're experiencing. And when we're able to hold space for our child's experiences, we can validate those feelings, validate those experiences. It actually can serve to strengthen that relationship that we have with our child. And it helps to build our child's um, social and emotional competence and, and essentially their, their resilience. Um, and I think that it's, it's, you know, easy enough to say that, right? Easy enough to say, stay calm when your child is struggling and to, to validate their feelings. But uh, we, we know it's, it's hard, right? It, it is extremely hard to do. And for many of us, it might feel really different than how we were raised from our own experiences as a child. And we know that we're not going to be able to respond in this way every single time, right, as a parent. Um, and we don't need to as, as a parent. It's not about perfect parenting, you know, getting it right every single time the first time, but it is about thinking about those opportunities where you can really slow down the interaction and, and meet your child where they are in that moment. So a, a lot of what you're talking about to me sounds really like emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, uh, and, uh, and emotional intelligence, I, I remember reading a, a book about this a few years ago, and it always starts with us first. So it's mm -hmm. a bit like, you know, confidence and resilience starting with us first and kids. Yeah. Um, I, I don't hear that word mentioned a lot, actually, in um, adoption, mm -hmm. in, in, in adoption circles and in, in, in the conversations that I have with mm -hmm. adopted parents, professional adoption professionals um, such as yourselves. I don't hear that word emo emotional intelligence mentioned. So it's... Um, do you, is, is that just me or is, is it is it is it kind of is, is it is it out of favor now everybody's into mindfulness or you know like what's what's going on yeah you know it's interesting I think oftentimes we hear emotional intelligence referred to in the context of childhood right of, of children developing their own emotional intelligence right their ability to to name what they're feeling their ability to um you know, empathize and, and be aware of what somebody else is experiencing. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of these conversations that we have about supporting children to do these things, right? We also need to do those things as adults too, because we're, you know, many of us, right? Um, have still, still have a lot of work to do ourselves, right? In our own emotional intelligence. And that can have a real impact on how we're able to provide that space for our child. Because if, if we can't do that ourselves, it's hard for us to be able to do that for somebody else. So, yeah. Um, have you got any thoughts on why it's, it, is it just me that, is it, has it gone out of favor? Or, or, or is, it, is it just me thinking it, maybe I've moved on from that stuff. <laughs> and, and so I'm not aware of it, you know, 
Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's certainly still something that that we hear about. I think okay. for for the work that we do, it's it's more about taking these these concepts, these theories, these approaches, and and you know really applying it to what does that actually mean, and what does that actually mean for for yeah. me and my experience as a parent. But I think for for me, there's um uh for me, change happens on the back of insights, right? Mm-hmm. So you spent, you spent, you've talked a lot about awareness, self-awareness and those things. And I think it's got to change, change, change comes from a deeper dimension, uh, you know, change in behavior comes from a, a shift in our mindset. And you talked about the plasticity of the brain earlier on. Um, I think for me, that, that, that more profound stuff, it isn't particularly popular with most people. Um, most people, most of us want the techniquey kind of stuff. Um, I, but I, I would, I would, I would uh, just throw my four pennies in to get to. I would, I would advocate. I would agree with you um, that it starts with us. It all start. It all always starts with us. Uh, no matter whether it's us and our kids or us and our partner or us and our boss and or us and our colleagues, it always starts with us. And that's why kind of emotion intelligence stuff starts with us. And I, I would really you know, re- recommend that people dive into emotional intelligence podcasts or audio books or you know something that we can do by busy parents busy people i just ordered a book um on kindle right I, my wife uh, lost my kindle years ago and i haven't had a kindle for ages she borrowed it and lost it right but i've just bought a book and, yeah. and I, hallelujah i bought a book on, on, on kindle <laughs> right and i'm, I'm, I'm joking because i actually consume audio like two hours a day when I'm walking the dog, when I'm in the car, I'm always listening to something. I'm listening to sport or the news on sometimes music, but I'm listening to stuff like, yeah. uh, I didn't read a book on emotional intelligence. I listened to a book on emotional intelligence. You can do that whilst you're doing something else. I even, I, I even listen to stuff while I'm doing the ironing. You've been mm. to so it's a little bit um, more exciting yeah interesting yeah, yeah but, I, but I, I quite I, I love I love finding you see like, like you're saying different techniques work for different people I, that could I, be yours you know, I, I'm trying to I'm trying to do big stuff right and I'm uh, I'm impatient to to do that um, so the fact that I can start with a a, a shirt um, uh, that looks all rumpled and within five to seven minutes depending on my uh depending on my speed, uh, I can have a crisp white shirt or whatever color shirt it is with sharp angles, flat, and it's, and, and it's great. And also I'm listening to some podcasts as well. So, um, yeah, I, I, would, I would encourage people to, to, to you know, maybe dig in, see if, see if you can find some audio an audio book on um, uh, an emotional intelligence and um, you can sample different audio books. I know on, uh, on audible and Amazon before you buy them and that kind of deeper um, what's the word uh, marinating. So like we marinate, our, we marinate our meat before we put it on the barbecue. If you marinate in some emotional intelligence stuff, you're going to get more out of that. You're going to get more out of that in terms of profound change, you know, uh, I, I mentioned you mentioned impatience, right? Uh, and um, and I mentioned impatience too. Like I'm impatient for change, but I can see some. I can see an instant reaction. I can see you know ironing the shirt five minutes, it's done. So uh, it, it, emotional intelligence for me and that kind of self awareness piece would be around that mm. that area where we are impatient, and it, it it's a, it's a, it's an area that. Uh, I know that um, I'm weak at, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, because uh, sometimes I get impatient on the road and sometimes I get impatient in the swimming pool. So um, uh, that, that 
I, I, I would urge people if they're finding that the technique stuff doesn't work, doesn't, it's not giving them the results that they want, then maybe it's time to go a little bit, um, a little bit deeper into that self-awareness area because that's yeah. what's gonna and and yeah. and most essentially because our kids are gonna do what we do yep. um and we can't share stuff that we don't know and we can't teach them stuff that we don't understand ourselves so for all those reasons yeah. it starts with us it absolutely does and i think you know when we're talking about things like early childhood trauma, right? We know from, from the research that, that unfortunately childhood trauma is, is, is a common experience. And so it's also something that when we're thinking about what this is like for our children, right? And in their own experiences, we, we wanna recognize that for, for some individuals that might activate something in ourselves, right? Based on our own experiences, our own experiences being parented, our own experiences as children. So, you know, as we've said, we can heal from trauma, we can process that trauma, um, but it takes a lot of work to be able to do that. So I think really thinking about how, how you are gonna be able to do that work yourself, whether that's you know, engaging um, you know, another professional to help you do that through therapy or through other, other sources um, to be able to process some of that so that you are able to show up and to hold space for your child's experiences that they've had um, and that can help strengthen that connection, right, that you have with your child. And as you said, they're not going to be able to do it if, if they can't see us do it too. So. Yeah. I, I, I hear this word process a lot. Mm -hmm. And to me, it, it, it's like, um, yeah, see, it, it's the process by which we see something isn't a thing and it, be, and it becomes not a thing anymore. Mm. So it's like, I, re, I talk about a, a trauma ball, it's a bit like a snowball. Mm. And we bring, the, uh, we bring awareness to it. So we're not aware of it, then we become like an iceberg, right? Mm. Um, we're, we're not aware of what's under underneath. Um, and then we bring an industrial heater to the to the iceberg, and it melts. Right. So that's what I mean by process. Mm. But, and it helps me, but it doesn't sound a particularly uh, intelligent or transferable metaphor. So, what does processing mean to you? Yeah. I think a lot of it has to do with being able to have the support that you need, whatever that looks like, to be able to find some acceptance in, in the experiences that you've had to be able to acknowledge that those experiences have, have an impact on you. And by doing that, right, that can help sort of um, make them kind of a little less powerful, right? That snowball a little less big um, by being able to do that. Um, I think the, the other thing when we think about, um, you know, being able to process uh, trauma or being able to even just process our own emotions and our emotional reactions to things. Um, once we're able to, to have those experiences validated, to have somebody else hold space for those experiences, that can help us manage those experiences, manage those feelings a little bit better um, so that they feel a little bit less strong, a little bit less hard for us to hold on our own. And that's something that, that we as parents are able to do for, for our children, right? When they are experiencing these strong emotions, we're able to hold space for those emotions without trying to fix them, without trying to put a Band-Aid on it, but rather to really acknowledge that those feelings are there, acknowledge that that whatever is going on feels hard for them or whatever, however it feels for them, and to give them space to be able to, to move through that experience. In those moments, what matters most is really that connection that you're able to have with, with that other person um, in, those, in those moments where you're experiencing those hard things. So I've heard that as, you know, bathing, I don't know who told me this, um, bathing the trauma in love, right? Mm -hmm like a big bath. Um, the, th the, thing, the thing that came to mind is in terms of a process and making it more kind of sequential because everybody likes step-by-step -step stuff, right? 
because um, uh, it, it helps us break break stuff down. Um, I'm, what I was thinking about is that that uh, Kubler Ross curve. Mm -hmm. Does is that would that be relevant? Look, I mean, looking at something like that in terms of it doesn't start with denial and then you kind of like mm -hmm. goes into a trough. Through that it? it's like a U shape. Mm -hmm. So it, it it starts it starts with um, uh, denial, acknowledgement, acceptance, healing, something like that. Is that mm -hmm. yeah. It, yeah yeah? So yeah, people want to check that out. Kubler Ross. K-U-B-L-E-R hyphen Ross. And it may help people see. Do you use that in your work or is that is that something that's a bit passe or is it just me thinking it's passe? I think for the, for the nature of our work, it, it's not something that we focus on on as much, just given how we, inter, how we the, the support that we provide to parents. But I think that the real takeaway there is if, if you feel like you need additional help or support to be able to, to manage what's going on for yourself and for your child, that to, to really reach out and to access that, whether that, again, is, is some therapeutic intervention, whether that is, um, you know, being able to find ways to, to take good care of yourself so that you can show up for the, in the way that you want for your child. I think that that's something that as parents can be really, really hard to do, um, but it's so necessary for us to be able to, to um, be there for our children in the way that that we want to be, especially for children who who are um, have experienced some really tough stuff in their lives. So you mentioned um, vulnerability mm. uh, here, and um, how, how how do you see parents' vulnerability? About you, you also talked about um, our kids' stuff triggering our stuff, essentially. Yeah. Um, how do you see vulnerability about that? Mm -hmm. As yeah. in vulnerability being open with our kids mm -hmm. about, because I can, I, I can see this as, you know, having <laughs> on one sense being really great, on another sense being absolutely nuts, you know, mm -hmm. like, I, I, but... I, I know from working with with kids myself that um, sharing my uh, tough stuff within uh, respectable boundaries, should we say, within mm -hmm. common sense kind of stuff. So I was talking about being bullied, right? I wasn't talking about to. I was talking about being bullied to 10-year-olds. Mm -hmm. I wasn't, for example, because I luckily I haven't suffered that, I wasn't talking about child being molested as a child. I was being talking about some um, some verbal bullying by uh, a, 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 that happened to me when I was the same age with them by a kid who was like four years older, right? Mm -hmm. So it, it, everything has to have a kind of, everything's got to be, in context and uh, appropriate. Yeah, sure. What that I'll answer my own question really here, but can you can you give some? I'd I'd love to hear your view on on on, on vulnerability and openness. Mm -hmm. uh, it for adopted parents when they're mm -hmm. talking to to their kids. Yeah, and I think what, what you shared, right, of thinking about the, the age of the child, knowing your child, right, all of those things are, are so critical to keep in mind when, when sharing things with, with a child. I think the other thing that's really important is to, to reflect on, on why it is that you're sharing what it is that you're sharing with, with, the, with your child, whether it's a part of your own history or, or um, other information that you want to share. Is it because you feel like you need to process it and, and, and in those situations, right? Um, that's probably not something that you need to be sharing with your child. Um, and there's, there's probably other, other people who can, who are better positioned to be able to support you in, in processing that. Um, but if, if it's something where you feel like the child can handle it and that it would really be um, yeah. meaningful to their experience, then, then I think that that's something to consider. Can I just cut in that? Um, sure. Um, I'm sorry to talk over you. Uh, yeah. That's an interesting one. Um, 
so yeah the the reason i shared was for for um for not even for empathy um the reason i shared if i think back to it and i started doing this it was years and years ago i did it to normalize mm-hmm. i did it to create a safe space mm-hmm. and to normalize it and and to and to lead into a a, a lead into a point mm-hmm. in terms of the fact that feelings are an inside job right for them to and feel a little less alone, yeah. Sorry, and yeah, and so so the kids don't feel alone. So I, I, so that's that's why I was doing it. I was doing it to make it okay. So you said something great. Um, you said a lot of great things. Uh, something you said like fifteen minutes ago was you know feelings are for feeling, and mm-hmm. um, and that's why I shared. The, that's that's why I shared the story of my own stuff in, in the moment as a yeah um, to show that it's okay feelings are okay feelings are for feelings instead of just saying it I mean I didn't you know I say it's okay I said something like it's okay to feel like that and then and then actually a, 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 an adult sharing how they felt. It's kind of like it was. So the kids don't think that they're going nuts, basically. You know, that that's why I would be. That's why I would be sharing it. And for me, it's it's it's. uh, Nobody likes to feel that their reactions are. uh, Out of kilter, they want people want. Nobody likes the idea that they feel that they're going mad, that they're the only one that that's felt this way. And it's really focusing me. on that connection, right? Feeling right. a little less, it's focusing on that connection, right? Feeling a little it's less the connection. in those moments. Yeah. And, and, and also, you know, if the kid, if the kid thinks that that kids identify with their feelings. So if they think that they're feeling the wrong thing, then it's another thing that's wrong with them. Um, so yeah, I'm sorry to, to, to butt in, but it's like, no, you, you, it's a valid point. Why are you doing it? Was I, was I doing it to process it? Was I going out to um, share my stuff uh, with 30, um, uh, 30, uh, 30 kids? Yeah. No, I, I was doing it to, to, to show them, but it's okay to feel like that. And, and as, a, as a point to the fact that feelings are an inside job that come from inside us. And therefore, um, no, one, no one can actually make us feel um, in a way think, that we don't want to be. Yeah, and it's interesting to, to think about this idea of, of vulnerability, right? And vulnerability for parents. Um, and I think that that can show up in, in a lot of different ways, right? It can show up in us realizing that we need to ask for help, right? Whether that's help for us to process our own stuff, whether that's, um, you know, um, somebody to help us, uh, somebody who can be backup, right? If we're feeling really stressed and we need to take a break, it's, you know, thinking about who's in our community, who's in our circle, who's in our, you know, lives that can help support us in those times when, when things get tough, because parenting, it is tough, right? And so to be able to have those people, those groups, those, those other folks in your life who you can, can rely on is, is really critical. And I think the other place where, when I think of vulnerability uh, for parents, I think it's also recognizing that, there are going to be times when, when we show up for our kids in the way that we want to show up, right? And we're able to hold space for their feelings. We're able to validate those feelings. And there are going to be times when we're not. We're not going to be able to do that. And we're going to respond in ways that, that um, maybe we'd want to try something a little bit different next time. And that's okay. I think having the, the, um, 
I guess it's giving yourself the grace almost to, to recognize that there are going to be times when you get it right. And there are going to be times when, when you don't. And what matters most is, is not getting it right every time the first time it's what, what we actually know has can have the biggest impact on the relationship between you and your child is, is when you don't get it right, right. Is to, to be vulnerable enough to say, uh, to make some repair that might need to happen. If, if you did experience some, some mismatch with your child, or if you responded in a way that, that maybe um, you would have liked to do differently the, the next time, I think it's, it's having that, um, showing that vulnerability, being comfortable enough with yourself and in your relationship with your child to say, you know what, uh, maybe, I, you know, I, I, I'm sorry, I screamed at you when, when you did this and, and here's why. And, and so to be able to be vulnerable in those moments too, I think can go a long way that, that taking the time, making the repair um, can actually strengthen that relationship and can help strengthen that, that connection between a parent and a child, which again is is really at the heart of, of um, you know, a child's ability to be able to move through some of these experiences they may yeah. have had. Because we're making it okay to make mistakes, aren't we? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it models that for, for children too, so they can see the, that same thing, right? Yeah. So there's, a, there's you know, maybe it, if people don't like the word, the word vulnerability, they might have switched off the podcast already, but I guess there's a, there's a fine line between or is it you know, between vulnerability and honesty? It's it's mm-hmm. kind of one in the same, isn't it? In, in, in some ways, yeah. In some in some cases, yeah. And I think, right, when you think about children, they young children, they are learning new things every single day, right? The things that that we as adults are able to do without even thinking about it, they they have to learn how to do those things. Things like tying your shoes, things like um, getting dressed, all of those things. Kids are learning how to do those things, and oftentimes see adults in their lives as um, supremely capable and and almost infallible in some ways. So even, you know, as you think about things to do with your child that can help to strengthen these connections, even things like, you know, as a family, learning something new together, right? Maybe um, it's something like maybe nobody in your family knows how to ride a bike, for example. And and if you're able to to take some time and, and everybody in the family is new at this new activity and nobody has mastered it yet, that can be really helpful for a child to see their parent struggle with something, to see their parent um, not good at something. Because again, to, to, to a little person, adults, uh, adults look like they've got it together, even if you don't feel that way. And so to um, be okay with, with being vulnerable enough to not be good at something, right, can, can go such a long way to strengthen that connection and to, to support your child in, in um, you know, feeling feeling like it's okay for them too, right? To, to be struggling with things as well. Cool. I'm conscious of time. Um, is there a question that I've not asked that you'd like to share something on? No. You know, I think that just the the big takeaway is we think about the experience of early adversity, right, and and recognizing the impact that that can have later on life. Just to to really. Um, highlight this message of hope, right? That, that it's, it, there are things that we can do by focusing on those positive childhood experiences, by thinking about how we're responding to our child when they are experiencing struggles. Um, and by really doing the work ourselves that can go a long way to build that connection between you and your child and to help support that child as they, as they um, heal from, from those experiences they may have had earlier in their life. Brilliant. Thank you. So as always, listeners, check out uh, the show notes to find out uh, more about uh, Megan and what, um, what, she, what she does, what, what um, she does with her colleagues. And uh, we'll speak to you again very soon. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you.